Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. You keep hearing me talk about the importance of the gut and how we need to keep our digestive tracts functioning optimally. But I haven't really taken the time to walk through what exactly a healthy digestive tract looks like which is why I brought on Dr. Brianne Kalanen to walk us through the digestive system and how it should be functioning, different issues to watch out for, and a lot more. What's up, everyone? I'm Brian Carroll, and I'm here to help simplify health and wellness information, and this episode is a treat. Not only will you be learning a lot about the gut, you will walk away with actionable steps to get started on treating your gut starting today. And before we dive into this episode, one of my favorite ways to support my body and my gut is by taking a serving of Athletic Greens with 75 absorbable nutrients. This daily scoop will give you a huge boost in your immune system, energy, and recovery. To learn more, go to summitforwellness.com slash greens. Now, let's dive into my conversation with Dr. Brianne Kalanen. Dr. Brianne Kalanen is a naturopathic doctor, mom of two, and the Amazon best-selling author of Wild and Free. Brianne has a strong clinical focus on weight loss and is the creator of the Metabolic Reset Program, where individuals lose 20 to 40 pounds in just six weeks. She believes that everyone at any age deserves to feel their best, and when people are well, we can change the world. Thank you for coming on to the show, Brianne. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course. And I always like to learn more about the people that come on to uh, this show. So can you talk a little bit about your background and what got you into uh, becoming a naturopath? Absolutely. So I did my undergrad in biomedical sciences, very science and research based. I wrote my MCAT and I was well on my way to medical school. And then I became pregnant at 19 unexpectedly. And I really had to think of not only my own health, but the health of a new growing baby that I was jumping into the role of becoming a new mom. And I went through the conventional medical system. And that was the first time I was introduced to the conventional medical system because I was really healthy growing up. I didn't get sick often. There was no need for me to be there. And I really, it became apparent to me quite quickly, the lack of education as well as time that doctors in the conventional system are just able to spend with patients. I had lots of questions. I was doing lots of my own research, looking at taking various different supplements and preventing um, even autoimmunity in the offspring that I was asking about vitamin D and probiotics because I heard about it and I did my own research and they really didn't have answers for me. They said, you know, take a prenatal, you'll be fine. And after that, I really started looking at midwifery care and their model and their approach. And as I learned more about how I could merge the two loves in my life, which is research and education and natural health, because I was looking at the various different things that I was putting in my body when I was pregnant, it really led me to natural medicine and functional medicine. And the fact that there was so much research out there that I was just unaware of on the benefits of diet and lifestyle, nutrition, and key supplementation, I was just blown away. So after my son was born, I started at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, learning about naturopathic medicine and functional medicine, and 
that's where it really all started, just treating my own health and seeing the massive shifts and changes that it can make when you really start to look at diet and lifestyle. Now, you had mentioned uh, the amount of time in conventional medicine that you might see a patient. Can you talk about the difference in length of time that you see a patient between conventional medicine and naturopathic medicine? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my appointment times are, the initial intake is anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours. We really look at the entire organ system. So we look at the gut, we look at your hormones, we look at your thyroid. I see everything as interconnected and I I don't care about the label, the diagnosis that you may come to me with. I'm more interested in figuring out why that's happening. So I often say we don't treat what you're coming to see me with. We correct the underlying issues so the symptoms go away and we can prevent chronic disease. And that takes a lot of extra time. It takes a lot of digging and research and lots of questioning and being able to put together the various seemingly unrelated systems and showing people how even your mindset can impact your gut health and how your stress can impact your sex hormones and how it impacts your menstrual cycle and what you need to be eating. That all takes a lot of time and piecing it together. And I really want to educate and empower my patients to understand every aspect of their health and their treatment plan. So we run labs in my practice, but we also record a video and we walk you through exactly what each of those lab markers mean so that you can understand what these markers are saying about you and your health, because I feel that that's important. Um, that's very different from a conventional medicine model where, um, especially in Canada, the new routine, at least in Ontario, is a no call is a good call after labs. So if you don't hear anything, you just assume it's normal and you go on with your life, which is not the way I practice in my practice. Normal doesn't mean optimal, so we like to get you optimal. And I feel that it's very important that you understand what these lab markers mean and what they say about you. That's the big difference, the amount of time and the amount of education that we get to spend with our patients. You brought up a really good point there where um, normal isn't optimal. So in conventional medicine, a lot of the uh, lab ranges they use are kind of that um, the normal range is mm -hmm. the line between healthy and unhealthy, whereas functional medicine, that uh, that range shortens up because that range is healthy or optimal to starting to progress into unhealthy. Is that correct? Exactly. And, you know, the optimal for you might be the, you know, the higher end of range. That's just where you need to be. And in addition, what I'm finding is for like one good example in Ontario is ferritin is the storage form of iron. The lower limit a couple months ago was 50. Now it's five. I don't know anyone who feels great at a ferritin of five. Um, I don't think that's okay. And I don't think those are the reference ranges we should be using um, to create optimal health. I think that people deserve much better than that. Um, and we really need to not only support that ferritin level and the iron level, but go digger and deeper and ask, why is that iron so low? Um, it's not just good enough to say you're low in iron, take iron. We really need to figure out why that's happening. And since you are looking for kind of the root issues of people's problems, is there one body area that you tend to always come back to that you figure has a huge impact on the rest of the body or does it just depend on who you're seeing? A lot of it comes back to gut as well as the gut brain access. So looking at chronic stress as well as what's going on in terms of the microbiome and, and gut health, it really plays an impact on you know, how we digest our foods and how we're absorbing our vitamins and minerals. If your digestion's not optimal and you're not even getting the benefits from all of the organic foods that you're eating, we, we need to optimize that for you. 
In addition, we know that our microbiome impacts our mood. We know that it produces vitamins like B12, our happy hormone serotonin, as well as that's where a lot of estrogen can be recycled. So you could be doing everything from a hormone standpoint, taking the DIM, eating the cruciferous vegetables, avoiding plastics, making sure that your environment's clean. But if your gut health is recycling that estrogen, that's going to be a problem. So I often do address gut health first. And what I'm finding is a lot of those symptoms such as resistant weight loss or symptoms of um, Hashimoto's or autoimmunity or estrogen dominance or issues with your menstrual cycle, they often correct once we're getting to the gut health, which is really interesting because it's a great conversation that I get to have showing people how their gut and their stool is related to their overall health. Because we often, we don't talk enough about poop and people just don't, they're like, what are you talking about my bowel movements? I'm here for anxiety or I want more energy. What does this have to do with my poop? I'm like, actually a lot. Let's, let's talk about it. So you talked about the microbiome. Is the microbiome one of the first places you look or are you looking at the entire chain of that digestive system? So definitely from cheek to cheek, so from mouth to anus, we definitely want to look at the health of the overall GI system. Um, Definitely important. We know, for instance, the health of the oral cavity. Essentially, that's been related to cardiovascular disease, right? The the increased in gingivitis and cardiovascular disease. So we're looking at the whole digestive system. Digestion begins in the mouth too. So if we're noticing on stool testing that there's a maldigestion issue, we need to look at first the mouth. Are you chewing your foods? Are you cooking your own foods? How fast are you downing that smoothie with a banana and 30 grams of protein and your spinach and your kale and your berries? Like we really need to look from a digestive standpoint, the mouth, as well as we look for infections in the stomach, such as Ace pylori. We look at bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine. We look at the large intestine. It's, it's really all encompassing. We have to look at it all. So since you talked about speed of eating, is there a recommended speed that people should be following or how do mm -hmm. you measure that? We really need to chew our foods. So if you are always the first one done, not a good sign. Um, and oftentimes we're training our children. We got to go eat quickly, you know, eat until you're full. You have to finish your own plate. So a lot of these practices that we're practicing as adults have come from our childhood. So definitely chew your food really well, 20 to 40 times. You know, you can take breaths between your chews as well, too. Um, I always tell my clients, if it's a really stressful time for you and you're not able to sit down and rest and digest, and get those digestive enzymes flowing, great stomach acid, it's best not to eat. That's really where I got into the practice of intermittent fasting is I was trying to get my kids ready from school, scarfing down leftovers from their breakfast. And then I was noticing I was having a whole bunch of digestive upset issues, significant bloating. And it wasn't necessarily the foods, they were all great foods. It wasn't just that breakfast was bad for me, it was how I was eating those foods in that situation. So I just said, it's not a good time, I'm not in a restful state to digest properly, so I'll just wait until it's calm and have my first meal at lunch. So what's your, what's your thoughts on smoothies? I'm curious about that one. I think they're, I would rather whole foods nutrition. Even in my um, metabolic reset program, people are always saying, can I replace a meal with a smoothie? I'm like, it's, it's not the same. I want you to learn how to cook your foods. I want you to learn what your plate should look like. I want you to chew your foods. You're not chewing a smoothie. Yes, it's a little bit easier to digest because it's blended. Um, 
I don't mind them, but they're they're more of a supplement. They don't they're not a replacement for an overall healthy diet. So you'd rather have them every now and then instead of every single day. Mm-hmm. Or if you're really busy and you have to, fine. Um, or if you're wanting to add it in after a workout because you want more of that protein for lean muscle mass, great. Um, but I I really think we should be using whole foods first. Yeah, that was one of the things I've been going back and forth with too is like, are smoothies a good option? Are they not a good option? Because a lot of times, you know, people will put like a grains powder in and you're mm-hmm. getting kind of high doses of nutrients from that grains powder. And because it's kind of already broken down and digested a little bit, it's entering your uh, system a lot faster than it would naturally from food. So mm-hmm. I've heard that there's some, um, there could be potential issues with that as well. And we have to look at the patient that we're dealing with. Is this someone who's coming from a standard North American diet? And the one positive healthy thing that they're willing to do is a smoothie and we can jam pack tons of things in that smoothie, then amazing. Um, But we just want to watch. I really don't think having two smoothies a day and maybe a light dinner or some people are doing, you know, multiple smoothies and really just not having whole foods. I don't think that's the healthiest option. So let's go down from the mouth to the stomach. And you talked Mm -hmm. about H. pylori. Um, A lot of people have heartburn, especially if they're coming off of a North American diet. So can Mm -hmm. you talk about... um, that whole situation there where people have heartburn and they're taking uh, medication to try to reduce their acid and what that does mm-hmm. to the rest of the system. Yeah. So H. pylori is one bacteria that can be a main cause in those who are experiencing GERD or heartburn. We do want to pick that up adequately. I use a GI map DNA stool test to pick that up. And the reason I like this test is because it shows us things called virulence factors. And what that means is how pathogenic is the H. pylori, meaning how likely is it to create stomach ulcers, duodenal ulcers. We can have carriers of H. pylori, as long as they don't have any signs and symptoms, they have zero virulence factors, completely fine, don't need to be treated. That's why I like to see the full report to note whether or not this is something that I need to treat. The conventional treatment for dealing with H. pylori is quadruple therapy, which is four different antibiotics. The GI map test will show you if you have resistant genes. The reason they have to keep adding on more and more antibiotics is this bacterium has become really resistant. So we can look at the DNA genes in your DNA stool test and we can determine is an antibiotic therapy appropriate for you. I always choose informed consent. I feel that the best option for each patient is the one that they feel confident with and they're informed with. There are, of course, negative implications on the normal gut flora when we use quadruple therapy. So that's something to keep in mind as well. There's really great research on using things like mastigum, oil of oregano, bismuth actually from Pepto-Bismol has some antimicrobial effects as well. So there are effective herbal treatments that we can utilize for H. pylori. In addition, what sometimes happens is people are put on a PPI or proton pump inhibitor to suppress the amount of acid and they're put on that for life. Now, you do need to suppress the amount of acid or correct the root cause, because you're at increased risk of cell changes in your lower esophagus if you don't. So uncontrolled heartburn is not not a good option. So to do nothing is not the best option for you because you are increasing your risk of esophageal cancers if you have acid reflux. So either being identified and treated in some way, if you're using a PPI, what you have to be mindful of is when you reduce your stomach acid, you're giving a big opportunity for any parasites or worms that's in your water or on your food to survive because you don't have as much acid in your stomach. 
I often see worms and parasites come up on stool testing in those who have been using PPIs chronically. In addition, if you don't have enough stomach acid, you're going to not be able to absorb key vitamins and minerals that require that. So it becomes a big, becomes a little bit of a big mess, a little big so mess, what, an actual big mess. <laughs> at what point, <laughs> if someone's been on a PPI for five years, at what point should they think about uh, trying different options? I mean, I would always recommend getting to the root cause, right? Even if we're if we're using a PPI, we're not just, we're not asking why we need to be on this. Why is this happening? If we're not getting to the root cause, then it's just a band aid approach. So your problem really hasn't gone away. Um, we've just put a sticker over it. The same if your oil light is on in your car and you just ignore it, eventually there's going to be other consequences of it. We need to look at key minerals like B12, folate, zinc, iron magnesium is another one as well. And if you have to be on a pharmaceutical medication, at least work with um, a pharmacist that can recognize the key nutrients, vitamins and minerals that that medication is depleting and replace that. There is pharmaceutical databases. I mean, I have access to it in my office. And anytime someone's on a pharmaceutical, I'm looking at how we can get to the root cause. So you don't have to take that. But also, if you do need to be on it, um, for various reasons, let's just look up the known depletions that are published out there in the pharmaceutical database and at least replace those. So if you're on a PPI, which reduces your stomach acid, and you're taking um, a supplement that has zinc or any of these nutrients that you might be low on, are you mm -hmm. going to be able to break that down enough to actually absorb it? Or do you think that's kind of wasted not as well. You definitely well. won't be able to absorb it as well. But you want to look at working with a really high quality professional supplement line that is doing third party testing to know that what's on the label is in the bottle. That is a really big issue in terms of supplementation that companies are saying something on the label and you're getting something completely different in the bottle. In addition, Vitamins and minerals have different various levels of absorption. Magnesium is a classic example. Minerals need to be bound to something to be absorbed. So for the example of magnesium, it can be bound to citrate. And we know minerals bound to citrate are just not well absorbed. That's why if you take too much magnesium citrate, you have diarrhea. So you want to look for things like a bisglycinate, a piclinolate, malate, and really try to work with someone or go to a really great health food store that understands supplements and professional lines and find one and do your own research and ask for the certificate of analysis, making sure that what's on the label is, is in the label or at least work with a functional medicine practitioner or naturopath that knows which supplements would be right for you. Perfect. So now further down the line, as we go cheek to cheek, uh, we reach the small intestine. Can you talk about some issues that might come up there? Mm -hmm. So in terms of the small intestine, we really shouldn't see a lot of bacterial overgrowth. If we are seeing bacterial overgrowth, we could be thinking of a condition called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO. And essentially what people see in SIBO is a variety of different symptoms, but the main one being a lot of gas and bloating. And that's because essentially undigested food particles are reaching the small intestine, bacteria are able to ferment them, producing CO2 and hydrogen gas. So what we want to make sure is, number one, that our foods are being adequately broken down, as well as we have really great stomach acid, so that foods are not being poorly digested, making its way through the intestinal tract. In addition, sometimes what happens is we have impaired motility, meaning the peristalsis or the sweeping movement in the digestive tract becomes impaired. 
one of the things that can do that is stress, chronic stress. So if you're in a state where you're in that fight or flight, you've got all that cortisol, norepinephrine, epinephrine running around, all of that blood flow is being diverted to your muscles. That's not a great place for digestion. Your peristalsis will not be happening in your GI tract. So if you're eating in that stressful state, that could be a contributing factor to you. We want to make sure that we're really chewing our foods, deep breathing, making sure we're in that restful spot so that we can have that parasitalysis, so we can have the sweeping so the bacteria can be swept along as well. There's other things like medications as well as if you have scar tissues from a previous surgery, that can impair motility as well. But that's really the main thing that I'm seeing in terms of significant bloating and seeing overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine in terms of SIBO. So when you were on the run with your kids and you were trying to force breakfast in mm-hmm. and you were getting the, the bloating, that's because you're in a stress state and totally. you're not able to digest the food. Yep, exactly. Perfect. Is there a specific test that you like to run to uh, see what's going on in the small intestine? I really like the GI map, even though it's a resemblance of what's going on in the large intestine, it can indirectly give us a good idea of what's happening in the small intestine. So if I'm seeing overgrowth in the large intestine and they're producing or they're presenting signs and symptoms of SIBO and we're having motility issues such as constipation, we can absolutely do a breath test to confirm if it is SIBO. But my reasoning is that, you know, they're a close proximity, there can be backflow. I rather would do a therapeutic trial. Um, what I use in terms of antimicrobials and diet and lifestyle seems to be really effective for the patients that I treat with SIBO. And I would rather them invest the money into supplements and treatments versus doing the breath testing. We, of course, can do the breath testing after to make sure that that has been resolved. Um, but for most times, I use the GI map. It's far more comprehensive. I get a great idea of the whole intestinal tract. Um, so that's my go-to test to use. Now, as we head to the large intestine, you talked about uh, how we don't talk about stools enough. Mm-hmm. Um, what should our stools look like and what sh- would give indications that there might be something off? Yeah. So you should be pooping at least once every single day. And if we look at babies, they are the happiest when they're sleeping and pooping. And the exact same happens with adults. They need to sleep and they need to poop. Um, at least once every day, it should be a large form stool, the size of your forearm. There shouldn't be a whole bunch of cracks in it. That's we're looking at maybe a dehydration or lack of fiber. And we really want to see consistent brown color. We don't want to see any undigested food. Definitely, if you ever see blood in your stool, it's a red flag that we want to make sure um, that we're figuring out why that is and checking up with our doctors, of course, if we're seeing blood in our stool. And if we're seeing any mucus, that's another sign that we want to have something checked out. Or if you have to wipe multiple times after using the bathroom, that I call a hyper wiper. That is a sign of fat maldigestion and absorption. And you essentially should not have to wipe multiple times. So either there's way too much fats in your diet um, for your unique body type at that point in time, or you're just not digesting your foods right. I see that a lot with people who don't have a gallbladder. Um, essentially, they still have bile, but it's not being stored in the gallbladder, secreted in a, a bolus at once. And then that's just a sign of fat maldigestion. So if anyone doesn't have a gallbladder, you really want to consider um, if ox bile would be right for you to supplement that, especially if you're seeing those fatty stools. I have to say some of your terms are totally on point. Cheek to cheek and hyper wiper. I, <laughs> I know even my patients say like, uh, I'll get an email. I'm so excited. I'm no longer a hyper wiper. I'm like, yes, now you're going to be absorbing 
your fat soluble vitamins, you're going to be absorbing cholesterol, which is needed for your sex hormones. So, you know, what is my gallbladder and inability to absorb fats have to do with my sex drive? Well, if you don't have enough of the cholesterol from the fats you eat, all of your sex hormones are going to be impacted. So it actually, it's directly related. Um, so it's, it's cool and we can make those connections. Yeah, and that's perfect. Um, a perfect lead way into talking more about how this uh, helps the rest of the system. So we just went through the entire digestive system. Um, and if that's functioning optimally, then the rest of the body can start to fall into place, mm -hmm. hopefully. Um, but like you just mentioned, like sex hormones, if you're not able to uh, break down foods in your stomach, then you're probably not getting very much zinc, which would also impact sex hormones. And then if you're mm -hmm. not breaking down your fats, then you're not getting the cholesterol that can impact sex hormones. Mm -hmm. So it, there can be a lot of stuff going on here. Yeah. So uh, do you want to give a couple other examples of how the gut influences the rest of the body? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the one that I'm really thinking of, a lot of clients come to me either self-diagnosed or someone's told them that they have estrogen dominance, or they're coming with heavy menstrual cycles, fibrocystic breasts, endometriosis, PCOS, acne, um, migraines before their cycle, all signs of estrogen dominance. And oftentimes they've worked with a practitioner in doing liver health and watching to make sure they're not increasing unnecessary exposures to estrogen, but they're still presenting with the estrogen dominant symptoms. And that's because if you have dysbiosis in your gut, some of the gut bacteria can produce an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. And essentially what happens is the liver detoxifies estrogen, wraps it up in a box like a present and puts a bow on it. And it tells the intestinal cells, okay, anything that's wrapped up in a bow, you need to excrete. This is estrogen that we don't need. But what happens is these um, bacteria that produce the beta-glucuronidase, these are like the kids that wake up early and sneak downstairs early on Christmas and unwrap all the presents. So they're going in there, they've got the scissors, they're unwrapping the presents, and now all this estrogen can be recycled, having to go through the whole detoxification process again. So we want to make sure that your gut health is really optimal in terms of that. In addition, if you're having chronic inflammation in your GI tract, that's a stress on the body. And we know that elevated levels of stress and inflammation just impact so many different other areas. Um, one thing in particular for looking at women's sex hormones is after we ovulate around day 14, there is an egg there and our bodies should be primarily focused on continuing our generation. So we should have a really high sex drive after we ovulate. We should have really good progesterone levels. That's what creates that zen loving hormone that after we ovulate, we're like, yep, sex drive, great, bring it on. But if we have chronic stress and inflammation, that's all cortisol, and that actually steals from progesterone. So instead of feeling loving and having a great sex drive, you're feeling irritable, anxious, and like you just want to crawl into a hole before your menstrual cycle. And sex is really the last thing that's on your mind. So that's where we really have to see, you know, if your progesterone's low, why is it low? Is it because of cortisol stress? Okay, why is there stress? Is it stress in your gut? Is it stress from foods you're eating? Is it stress from your work? Really looking at the root cause and I just like to ask why all the time. Um, and the more we can ask why and get to the root cause, then we can really correct things. But it's it's often lifestyle. Like a lot of the things come down to the foods you choose, the thoughts that you tell yourself, the people you surround yourself with. All of that really impacts the choices that you make, whether they are moving you towards health um, or towards chronic disease. So often it's a big lifestyle shift 
for a lot of people and they have to be ready for that. So let's talk about that lifestyle shift. Do you give people giant protocols um, or do you have to slowly work into it and do little tiny things at a time? I give giant protocols, but only so that I can provide education. So it's not tons and tons of things that people need to take in terms of supplementation, but there's a lot of education there. Like none of my patients would ever question or wonder why I've given them a supplement. I tell them why the dose is there, what the evidence says, what are the benefits, what are the risks. I just am so passionate about informed consent and education that all of my patients are really well aware of why they're taking something. We do work on diet and lifestyle. I have implemented a compliancy program in my practice where you see me, we talk about the diet, the lifestyle, the things that we need to change, we interpret your lab results, and then you work with one of my amazing health coaches and they help you to stay on track. So if I say, um, you know, your anticholidin IgA on your GI map is through the roof and what that means is your gluten sensitivity, we need to do a trial period of gluten-free. Then you'll go and you'll hang out with Allison and you'll meal plan and you'll discuss what things you need to pick up at Costco and what are the favorite recipes and she'll walk you through it because I think that consistent care and that follow-up and the education and the accountability is, is really, really important. So having that is fantastic. And I work in a stepwise way. So we treat um, stress and the adrenals and the gut. We do all the baseline lab work to make sure your thyroid's good, your blood sugar's good. We heal the gut first. We'll address hormones after if there's still an issue. We'll look at detoxification if that's an issue. And then lastly, we're just testing all of your vitamins and minerals, looking at what your baseline levels are and choosing specific ones for you. So at the end of the day, my clients are on a specific multivitamin designed for them, a specific probiotic that matches their DNA stool test. We're running genetics. Oftentimes, a 23andMe report that I put through another software to know genetically where you stand. And, you know, they're on vitamin D. We're in, we're in Ontario, most of my clients here, or Saskatchewan in Canada, and it's quite dark. And so many of my patients, when we run vitamin D, they're low, and it just impacts so many different things. Yeah, that sounds like a great program. And it's awesome that you have the health coaches involved as well, because mm -hmm. I think they provide so much valuable information to people to help them in the real life situations mm -hmm. of going to Costco and I need something. So how yeah. do I do that? So and I forewarn my patients that we're going to send you a review video on exactly what we talked about. We're going to walk you through this. We're going to answer your questions. And that's why I it's, you have to work with the health coach through the compliancy program so that you feel supported, so that you feel like this is something that you can take on, and so that you understand that this is a new lifestyle that's really amazing, and you get to feel really amazing. Um, we just have to get you there. Perfect. Uh, well, let's talk about um, like your metabolic reset program and how people lose 20 to 40 pounds in the six weeks by mm -hmm. addressing their gut. So can you talk about how the gut influences weight? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the most amazing thing. When I stopped treating weight directly, when I stopped I mean, the research shows calories in, calories out does not work. Eat less, exercise more. It doesn't work. And yet we're still recommending it. We know the advice is bad. And then we're blaming the patients for, for say, a lack of willpower because it didn't succeed when we're blaming the teacher for poor advice. That's what we should be doing. So when I stopped treating weight directly, when I started looking at the underlying root causes, blood sugar, as well as mindset, detoxification, estrogen dominance, and gut health. So in terms of gut health, there is a ratio in the gut called the Firmicutes-Bacteroides ratio. 
So all this is, is all your normal bacteria fall into either group. It's the same way that we classify animals. Maybe we divide them into cat and dogs. Then all the species of cat fall into cat. All the different species of dog fall into dog. That's the same way as the Bacteroides formicides. We're just classifying them based off of their appearance. And what the research has shown is when you have an elevated FB ratio or formicides Bacteroides ratio, we're actually seeing that we're absorbing more calories from the food we eat, more fat gain, more insulin resistance. So, you know, you look at two pe people, one can eat a whole pizza and then have ice cream for dessert. And the other one, if they just look at it, they gain five pounds. That's often due to an impaired FB ratio. And what we want to do is we want to balance out that ratio so that you can get away with eating more of the foods you eat. Not to the point, you know, if you have a really low FB ratio, you're not going to be not absorbing anything from the foods you eat, but you're going to be more metabolically flexible. And they've confirmed this in, in stool transfers as well. So if they take an obese mouse and they take the feces of the obese mouse and transfer it into the lean mouse, same diet, same lifestyle, the lean mouse then becomes obese. So it's really fascinating new research. And we can change this with key probiotics. We can change this with key fiber sources. And time and time again, like we have a guaranteed 20 pound loss in six weeks because it works so well. Yeah, I've seen some studies coming out talking about fecal transplants and how, um, you know, there was a couple of years ago, I think they started doing it for a lot of different things. And then all of a sudden they started figuring out we can actually transfer more than what we thought, which could be a good thing and a bad thing, just mm -hmm. like you said. Um, so that's pretty, pretty amazing how much the microbiome can influence the body. And even, yeah, so transferring personality traits like anxiety can be linked to fecal transplants. And I think in terms of fecal transplants, the, the research is very exciting and it's very new and it's trendy, but I, I think we really just don't know, right? Like in terms of gut health, there's a lot out there, but there's also a lot we don't know. And we're really yep. just at the starting point of uncovering what really lies behind the ocean in the, the iceberg analysis. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see the next couple of years what comes out. Yeah, I've seen some probiotic companies coming out that do um, individualized probiotics based off of what's in your gut. And I'm very cautious against those because, like you said, we don't know all the research yet. Mm -hmm. And so to influence one strain over all the other ones, we don't quite know what's going to happen with that yet, at least mm -hmm. from what I understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the gut health is just so fascinating. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really interesting. Well, is there any final things you want to make sure we touch on about gut health and how it influences the rest of the body? I really want people to slow down when they eat. I really want them to take notice about how they feel after consuming a food. So take notes, right? If you're experiencing a lot of low energy or anxiety or changes to your stool, bloating, take note of what you've ate the next day and really try to pinpoint what your triggers are and keep those foods out. Healthy food is different for everybody. If broccoli really bothers you, have something else. I have so many clients who are stressed because they're not consuming enough of the broccoli or cauliflower. And I'm like, well, how is it making you feel? And they're like, well, like crap. I'm like, okay, let's find something different that offers health benefits that doesn't make you feel like crap while still getting those sulfur-based foods. So really pay attention to how you feel when you eat a food for sure. Then my final question is, what is one actionable step you want to teach everyone to improve their overall health? I want people to 
make sure they're pooping every day and make sure they're sleeping every day. Really prioritizing sleep. Like don't be on social media at night. Turn off all of those blue lights that you're being exposed to that is damaging your melatonin levels. De-stress, have a bath, read a book, do something else and try to get to bed like 10, 10 Make sure that you're asleep, you're drinking filtered water. I'm saying all of them. I'm not even saying just one, but like sleep, filtered water, a good mindset and chewing your foods. If you were to just do that, you would probably see very positive shifts in your health. Just simple free things. Perfect. And where can people find more about you and uh, contact you if they want to work with you? The best place to connect is through my website, briannekalanin.com. There are, I mean, there's many blogs on there that you can read through on Instagram, Brianne Kalanin. On Facebook, we have a free wildside community called Wildside Community. And on the website, the top right corner, there's various links where you can inquire about setting up an appointment. We do offer virtual appointments as well. So we work um, around North America um, with patients all over, all over North America. Perfect. And in the show notes at summitforwellness.com slash 102, we will have the link to your website as well, just in case people don't know how to spell it. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I think this was a very insightful episode. We haven't really worked through the entire digest digestive system in an episode before. So I'm really hoping that people will be able to know more about what's going on in their body and different signs to uh, look for if things aren't quite right. So thank you. Perfect. Thanks so much. I told you that this episode was packed full of information and steps to get started on improving your gut health. And Dr. Brianne has a lot of great videos at BrianneKellanen.com if you are ready to learn more and want to see different lab markers which can indicate different needs for your body. And have you been wanting to start an exercise program, but with all the gym closures worldwide, have no idea where to begin? We have our 28 Day to a Fitter You program, which is perfect for those who are wanting to get started with an at-home program. And for now, we have a pay-what-you-can option so you can get started today completely stress-free. You can learn more about that at summitforwellness.com slash 28 days. And next week, we will be talking about the emotional toll dieting can have on us and how to improve your relationship with food. So let's go learn a little bit about my guest. I am here with Danielle Brooks. Hey, Danielle, what is one unique thing about you that most people don't know? Mm, I can hold my breath for three minutes and swim down to almost 100 feet. Where? How did you find that one out? <laughs> <laughs> I took a free diving class once when I was in Bali, and uh, it, it was just so much fun. And I was, I surprised myself. Yeah. I was like, wow, I could do that for three minutes. So when you're going down, how do you know that you can get back up safely? <laughs> Someone's with you. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, what will we be learning about in our interview together? Oh, you'll, you'll learn how to eat intuitively and how to discover what you're really hungry for and hungry for in life. And then what are your favorite foods or nutrients that you think everyone should get more of in their diet? Ah, foods or nutrients? Well, fruits, definitely. I, you know, I think fruits have gotten a bad rap. You know, people have looked at them like, you know, oh, they got so much sugar. I'm like, no, they've got so many nutrients. They're such, oh, they're healing foods. I love fruits. And then what are your top three health tips for anyone who wants to improve their overall wellness? Oh, enjoy food. 
leave away the the judgment and the guilt uh, around food, enjoy being a human being who eats, um, uh, listen to your own inner guidance. Um, and um, yeah, uh, uh, be kind to yourself. All right. Hopefully you can take some of the lessons learned this week and start applying it to your gut. And until next week, keep climbing to the peak of your health. <laughs>